Welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. My name is Simon Hodgkins and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jim James. Jim, you're very welcome to the podcast. Let's begin by asking you to introduce yourself. Tell us all about your journey, your career today and all the wonderful things you're involved in. So over to you, Jim. Simon, thank you so much for inviting me on the show because I've seen you've got really, you know, luminaries and so I hope I don't disappoint. I'm really the unnoticed entrepreneur, Simon. That's the the title of my podcast and also the the title of of my my book uh which has just come out published by Wiley and my background Simon in a nutshell is I got bored and tired of sitting in meetings uh, at the age of 26 27 working in the music tech business so I I went to Singapore obviously as one does and uh, and started my first company so I started East West Public Relations and then in 2006, I went to China to start the offices there. And whilst I was there, I imported the first Morgan sports car to China and then found that there weren't any distributors in China. So I approached Morgan and became the importer for Morgan sports cars. Had a spell as the vice chair of the Chamber of Commerce, also started the China, the China chapter for EO, you know, the Entrepreneurs' Organization, with a good pal called Rich Robinson and also started the British Business Awards in China and did a couple of other bits and bobs. And along the way, most importantly, met my wife and had my two beautiful daughters and then came back here in 2019 to Wiltshire, sunny Wiltshire in the West of England to bring the girls back to school and start again. So I've sold the PR firm to some young, uh, the next generation of leaders to run East West in Singapore. And I really started then The Unnoticed Entrepreneur, which is a, a podcast and a book and the mission really is to help entrepreneurs to learn from other entrepreneurs how to get noticed without a budget. So that that's me, Simon. Jim, I'm just trying to keep up with that journey. I mean, that's incredible. Um, how you go from why why the Asia connection? What got you out there in the first place? Well, I was going to Asia for trade shows, Simon, and um, you know, back in the early '90s. For those of you know the audience that are listening now. The early 90s in the UK were not a great time. I mean, we'd had minor strike, we had uh, high interest rates, we had uh, recession and unemployment. So I went to Singapore and, and Taipei and Tokyo uh, to run trade shows for a company in the music tech business. And Asia was just starting to become sort of the center for digitalization of broadcast. I didn't say that very well. Digitalization of broadcast, put my teeth back in. and. Um, so when I went to Asia, I found this huge and exciting market that was just in a transition. It was moving from analog to digital in, in the music industry. And there was no one doing public relations in, in that part of the world for, the, for this industry. So um, I came back from a trip to Taipei, found my house broken into in Manchester for the second time and my stereo, you know, gone and my and, and it was raining. And I just thought, you know what? I just don't want to be here anymore. And I think there's an opportunity in Asia to do this. So six months later, I sold the house. I put obviously the windows back in, but sold the house. And uh, and yeah, with a couple of suitcases arrived in Singapore and and, and on a tourist, on a tourist visa. And of course, this is sort of pre-internet, you know, 1995, you know, Google was just just starting to emerge. Um, but it was really the opportunity of Asia, you know, fastest growing region, moving from analog to digital, and, and a sense that, 
you could be a pioneer as an entrepreneur in Asia because there were so few people with our with my skill sets in that part of the world. So it's kind of this beautiful trifecta, really, Simon. What about the language and the culture, Jim? How did that work for you? Well, Singapore is, as you know, uh, people speak English. You know, Ali Kuan Yew back in the mid-70s made English a national language because of actually the race riots that would take place. So, you know, Singapore really was what we called Asia light. And Singapore has this wonderful, really sort of melting pot between the um, Southeast Asia, North Asian, uh, speak English, but you can have Malay, you can have Basa, Indonesia, Thai, and that then translates into the kind of food you can get. Uh, and the kind of people it attracts was this kind of fairly dynamic frontiers uh, entrepreneur. So culture-wise, um, I have to confess, I didn't sort of get into Asian culture in the sense of learning uh, all about it. I was so focused on starting a business uh, and frankly, learning how to run a business because I'd been a marketing manager before. So I, I didn't even know how to invoice people. Sam. So a client eventually said after a couple of months, you need to invoice me. And um, you know, it's another story, but I, I basically, after three months, had, I, I'd done so much work that I was owed $100,000, but I, I, um, I only had about $50 left in my bank account. So I, I didn't have enough money to pay the suppliers to deliver the goods to the customer. So it's another story, but I made all sorts of mistakes. Um, uh, one by one managed to figure out how to solve them and to stay in business. And in the end, East West over the next three to five years became one of the biggest independent PR firms in Southeast Asia. And we won, you know, best SME of the year award. I won an entrepreneur of the year award down there. So, you know, little by little, um, I'm afraid I didn't learn too much about the culture, Simon. I, I was kind of preoccupied with trying to stay alive. Well, the, the, the business side of it really seems to have taken off because the, the PR that you sort of started off there with, that really grew. And then from there, you I know you you were the founder of the, the British Business Awards in China, right? Yes, that's right, uh, 2008, yes. That's no mean feat. And that's now run by, I think, the British Chamber of Commerce, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Uh, but you were, you were sort of the person that sort of kicked that whole thing off. And then you got the PR business that we mentioned. So obviously, you then you did some work with the British Chamber out there, and just just remind me a little bit about the importing a Morgan. How did that? What was that about? Yeah, so I made a little bit of a, an entrepreneur's error, really, um, Simon, which is that you know I fell in love with something that I didn't have. You know, the old uh, my shiny object had four wheels on it, and I was in China, and I was sent a picture by my uncle um, of his new Morgan plus four and I was in love, you know, and, and I just couldn't get this picture of this car off my desktop. So um, we resolved when the second daughter was born that we would buy a Morgan sports car as kind of a treat before I got to be 40. And I thought I'd never, never get one. I know you've got four children, so you'd have to get like an extension cave, you know, a trailer or something for yours. But, you know, I, I was able to get a, a, a four-seater roadster. So we ordered the car and imported it to China, you know, and everyone was turning their heads and like, wow, you know, you know, that, that car is beautiful. And I was like, it's an old car, is it? And I was like, um, actually, no, it, you know, you could drive this on the road today. I got a license plate and everything for it. And so what I did was I spoke to the British 
embassy uh, because I knew I was the vice chair of the Chamber of Commerce at the time and said, you know, um, when you have your next Queen's birthday party, how about we put a Morgan sports car out in front of the ambassador's residence? And they were like, well, yeah, we charge for that because we have an Aston Martin and we have Rolls Royce, we have Mini. And I said, yeah, but you know, I'm just a guy and I'm just doing it so it makes the pie look more interesting. You know, I'm not really commercial about this. I just thought you might want a, a beautiful once in a lifetime, the only car in China like it. And, um, and they said, all right, we'll do it. And it, what I did, Simon, was I knew that they were going to open the gates at one o'clock uh, to get all the cars in. And because I've been in and out quite often to the, to the embassy and the ambassador residence, I got, a bit, I got there a bit early. So what I did was I got in early and I parked right in front of the ambassador's residence. And so when Aston Martin and company turned, they're going, hang on, the best spot, because I took the photo spot, every picture and every VIP had to walk past my car. And, and then eventually someone said, well, that's a lovely car. I've always wanted one of those. And I said, well, I can, I can take your order for you if you like. And, um, you know, at the time, Simon, it, it was a little bit reckless because I, I didn't have the whole business set up, but I got a, I actually managed to sell a car and then figure out the business. And it took me 12 months and 13 ministries to get the approvals to import the car because, you know, it wasn't registered. I had to come up with a new name for the company. And Morgan is a registered to a company called Morgan Ceramics, actually out of, out of Windsor, uh, which just happened to be a client of mine with the PR firm. So I had to write to them and ask them if they didn't mind if I used the, the name Morgan in China because they owned the copyright. So this whole sort of litany of things, my wife and I, um, Erica, she's amazing at the dealing with the Chinese bureaucracy. And so over the period of 12 months, we took a couple of orders based on the back of my car. And in the end, I had to sell my car because there were capital controls. And so you couldn't bring in more than $50,000 at a time to a company. And, so, and I needed 100,000 to build the showroom. So what I had to do was I had to sell my Morgan so that I could finish the showroom. And then we took a couple more pre-orders. And so I funded it entirely out of cash flow. I did end up you know, without my own uh, Morgan. The, the, the only thing there was that we, we sold this car and this person came to pick up the car and he was there and his wife was pregnant and um we said oh crikey i don't know how they're gonna get in the car and uh but they rolled the seat all the way back she got in he got in and, and all you could hear them say was she said oh it's the bonnet's very long you know and a morgan roasted very very long and you sit down nice and low. And of course it's a glorious car and um and she said he and she said in chinese you know are you going to be able to drive this home and he said don't worry honey the bonnet's the same length as the tractor <laughs> and so they, I was like, oh, okay. I guess this, if this is the market for the car, I'll, I'll serve. But anyway, so um, yeah, so a man who normally drives tractors drove my Morgan away into the distance in Beijing. And of course he was driving it for a rich person. He, he, he was going to own it himself. But yeah, so Simon, you know, and then over the next uh, number of years, we opened a showroom, the ambassador opened the showroom. We imported 65, 70 cars. Uh, appointed distributors uh, across China. So it was a fabulous experience to build a brand from nothing where, you know, not speaking the language. Um, there were some languages, uh, some some uh, learnings there about how to build a brand in, in China. But yeah, so Simon, that's the, 
the too sweet version of, of that's, the Morgan story. That's a story. wonderful, <laughs> a wonderful story. That's incredible and very entrepreneurial, of course. You know, the, there's nothing like taking a few orders for something you haven't quite figured out yet. Um, yeah, that's not in the MBA books, is it? And then no, no. So, so while I was there, because we were doing quite a good job, we had a lovely showroom in the very centre of Beijing. My wife and I uh, were doing the business together. Um, the CEO for Lotus came to Beijing and quite like what we were doing and had a chat and they asked if I would help them. And funny, we were on holiday in, in France, Simon, when he came to the showroom and he was so impressed by the showroom and how the team brought him a cup of coffee. We had music on, I had the Apple TV set up so you could see videos and stuff, um, that they, they hired me to be the interim CEO um, for Lotus. And then what I did was I found that because in China, trade shows are so expensive and you couldn't get a slot even so um i worked to start the british business uh, sorry the british motorsport festival so the british motorsport festival um became this event which is a multi-brand event like a goodwood festival of speed for china and so i organized one of those we had you know jlr and um, aston martin and all the other brands come together and we had a track day and so on so that was great fun so what i needed to do in china you know, and I think this is sort of a, a hallmark really for, for entrepreneurs is sometimes things don't exist, you know, and it would be easier in a way to just maybe walk away and say, well, if it doesn't exist, then I'll just do something different. But, you know, if you've got a vision and a passion and mine was to share British car culture uh, and classic car culture to the Chinese, I had to build some some different kinds of things so that that audience could could get closer to that brand and that culture so that was something else that I did in China we don't really talk much about yeah I mean you, you just happen to be the CEO for Lotus in China I mean why would you mention that you know it's just incredible yeah. story, <laughs> it, was, it? it was only six months Simon I'm afraid but uh, yeah. yeah we then did a did a handover to do recruitment for a, a Chinese um, yeah. uh, guy to come and take over but yeah so as we had the buildings in the same complex i would go to manage lotus in the morning and then have some lunch and then manage morgan in the afternoon it's, incre it's incredible jim yeah. you know and I, I suppose that when you went through the the various agencies and embassies and you know in inverted commas red tape of of setting up in china that obviously took i don't know how you said was it 18 months or it took a long it time to 12 months yes and i documented months, yes. so it by the way i mean i even have a blog post where i I put down all the different yeah. ministries we went through. It's fantastic. But it must have been a huge learning curve to doing business in that environment, you know? So that, that must have stood you in good stead because not satisfied with only cars. I know you, you had a little foray in the energy drinks market too, right? Yes, that's right. Because of the, the BMF, um, Alex, or I know I should remember his surname, a lovely guy started a business called wake energy drinks and um it was a similar sort of profile it was a niche product um and a really cool brand had a lovely job on it and um yeah he asked me whether i could help him get into china and you know my first job was in in baked goods out of university funnily enough right so i'd done a little bit of fmcg work um but yeah we we, we actually got the drinks into China and I got the beginnings of distribution sorted out. So I got some, what well, because it was so highly priced, what we figured out Simon was the, the best strategy was to go for hotels that would use it as a luxury mixer and a sports mixer because we couldn't compete with Red Bull because it was so cheap and we were shipping the drinks. So we were doing the sort of the premium 
energy drink, you know, British water shipped in. So, so I started to get some hotel groups interested, but we just learned some lessons about the need for scale. You know, we just couldn't get the volume and, and, and Alex, God bless him, couldn't raise enough capital to get the volume to do enough trials. You know, so, so as you say, Simon, over nearly 30 years now running various kinds of businesses, one learns that different businesses have got different bottlenecks. You know, for Morgan, it wasn't about scale because the value of the product was so high and the margins are so high. We only need to sell one to keep us going for a few months. But if you, if you sell drinks, of course, you need to be selling pallet loads by the week. So every business has got its own, if you like, bottleneck. And, and I think that's one of the learnings that I've had over the last 30 years is to look for that bottleneck because that can often be why you fail, not because of your ambition or your ability. And that connection with uh, Alex Buckley, I think, with the, the guy behind Alex that, Buckley, that yes. Thank that you for reminding me, Alex. Yeah. Is he, was that a connection through the British Motorsport Festival that you set up in China? Is that what you Yes, said? yes, that's right. So, you know, part of the idea was that the British Motorsport Festival could be a platform for, for smaller brands that, you know, had this kind of orientation towards Anglophiles in China. The, the British Chamber of Commerce and uh, the British Embassy do a brilliant job in facilitating mark entry and they have mark entry tours and so on. The, the opportunity I saw, though, I suppose, was to create some events that were not, if you like, strictly speaking, trade fairs, where, where people could get involved in a slightly more, um, well, consumers could get involved in the brand as opposed to just buyers getting involved with the brand, which is kind of the B2B trade um, missions that are led. So the UK government and the Chamber of Commerce do brilliant jobs. I was involved and as much as I could be to help create jobs in the UK. That was really my, my mission time. And so when Alex came, I was like, great, we can create some more jobs uh, in the UK by helping to export that. And just to, just to bring us full circle on all that then. So back to the, the early days of the PR company and East West uh, PR, um, you're now, are you now the chairman of that organization? Yes, that's right. So we managed to um, have a couple of young guys, uh, Naveen and Raymond, who are, you know, worked with me over the years who wanted to set up their own business. You know, they're starting out on their journey of owning their own business. They worked for a decade for other people, including for me at East West. So, so wonderfully, you know, they've taken on the, the brand, which as you know, as a brand owner is, is an amazing feeling. If you can see your brand move to the next generation, um, it, it, it sounds a bit fancy to call it a legacy because it's a, that's a little bit grandiose, but um you know, that the core values and the brand that you've built has enough value that other people want to take it on is, is really, really flattering. And, and so, yeah, I'm playing a role where I can to help them because, you know, I set up a PR firm in, in Singapore, China, and also India. So, you know, I've, I've run, you know, businesses over multiple jurisdictions and over multiple years and served over 500 clients. And our clients were people like Nortel and BlackBerry and Inmarsat, Philips, um so we've had some some names that actually I know some of them are no, are no longer around as you know um but I've, I've worked with some really big companies and I've also worked with some smaller ones so I'm here to try and help them on their journey next yeah that's wonderful because I mean it's it's almost three decades of of work and learning and you know that's all been poured into that brand right so it's wonderful to see it continue 
Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And when you make it, when you say 30 years, you do think, oh my word. And now you hear people, you know, say on, you know, LinkedIn or videos, I've got over 10 years of experience and you're going, wow. I mean, that's great. But you think, wow, I'm kind of getting into the sort of geriatric zone. Uh, really, Simon. So I'm, I'm beginning to get worried. What, what, is, what is the old line? I forgot more things than you know. You know. So it's, it's kind of, but look, I want to. I want to ask you something else, if I can, because that's a wonderful trip through uh, what you've been doing in far-flung regions of the world, and it's an incredible. You know, from literally packing the suitcase and saying, "Look, the, my place has been broken into again. I'm going to go and work somewhere else. I'm going to try something different." And it's that entrepreneurial first step, isn't it? Because without that. You wouldn't have those three decades and running all those businesses. And you're so involved with the British Council over there and the, setting up a motor festival, running, you know, as a CEO for Lotus. And then you're, you know, building a showroom for Morgan and importing products into various regions. I mean, it's an incredible entrepreneurial story. But Thank let's you. let's Thank go you. to what you what I know you're really passionate about as well today, which is the unnoticed group. Let's talk a little bit about the book and the podcast and what, what are you actually doing here? Just explain that for our audience. Would you mind? Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Simon. And hey, thank you very much for the, for the compliments. Yeah. It feels like sort of a, a, a slight sort of entrepreneur's odyssey, really um, having lived, lived 30 years by going around the world to start businesses. One of the things that, you know, you know, and, and I know is that many, many people in the world are doing great things and what they're not doing is, telling people about what they're doing because they're so often busy doing and they may not even have an ego that's structured that says I need what you know in Greek is called thymos you know thymos is the need for recognition and and not everybody has that thirst for thymos right some people are many people are doing what they do because it's the right thing to do because they love what they do and in my view you know many of those entrepreneurs that you and I know are doing great work and they're not really noticed for it. But more importantly, because this is not about creating awards for that, more importantly, the best learnings that I've had as an entrepreneur have been the teachings of other entrepreneurs, Simon. So I started EO, um, the Entrepreneurs Organization in Beijing with a, a wonderful guy called Rich Robinson, who's now in Bali, by the way. He made a bright choice. Um, but in EO, it was peer group learning. And what I'm doing with the unnoticed entrepreneur with the podcast and, you know, and the book is to interview entrepreneurs who are doing interesting things, but I'm asking them the same question every time, Simon. So the same question is, how do you get noticed? And could they tell the fellow on unnoticed entrepreneurs what has worked for them to get noticed? So the strategy really is to be fairly wide in terms of the entrepreneur categories that I ask, but then to ask them all the same question. And by doing that, I'm able to get answers that then create some consistency for the listeners. And the reason I think that's important is that as business owners, you know, we deal with cash flow, we deal with people, we deal with product, we deal with logistics and so on. But I wanted the, the outcome of listening to the podcast and the book to be to answer one central question that everybody's got, which is how to get noticed. Because actually, you can't sell anything if no one knows about it. You can't sell your product. You can't sell your business if no one knows about it. So a central dilemma for every business once they've built something is get someone to know about it. It also just happens to be what 
what you know I feel like I know how to do. So I ask everyone the same question. And then what happened, Simon, is that I started this podcast in my in my garden shed, literally, because most of my friends are entrepreneurs and they would come to me. And as the agency, they couldn't afford East West PR. So I'd give them advice and, and so on. So I thought, why don't I create a platform? And you know, as well as I do, podcasting is fantastic for this, where rather than me having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and, you know, and that being kind of fairly limited in, in, in reach, why don't I interview people and make it so that it's accessible to all these people who wouldn't get the time to meet all of these people. So what happened was that then I was um, thinking about all these articles that I, I had. And then actually I listened to Brian, Brian Clark, you know, who we mentioned earlier on. And, and he mentioned something about, you know, you don't have to write the content. You can curate the content. I was walking through the forest with, with my beagle Binky. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I could write a book to be honest about some of these I've done, but I think what I've done is less of interest than what other people are doing. So why don't I share that? And why don't I curate what other people are doing to get noticed? So that was the genesis of the first book. And then I, I did the first 50, then I did the second 50. And then the book, I entered into the uh, British Business Books Award. And for anyone thinking about, you know, if you're doing anything, enter an award uh, because, you know, I entered the book award thinking, well, here's 87 pounds well spent, you know, I won't get anywhere, but, you know, it, it helps you to focus the mind. Anyway, blow me down, Simon. I was a finalist, or the book was a finalist. And, of course, that's a credit to the people that are in the book. Um, you know, I, I'm just a curator. Anyway, so I got to go to London and, uh, and so on, and it was fabulous to meet, if you like, you know, real authors, people who are writing books. And um, But blow me down, uh, the people from Wiley connected with me on LinkedIn and said, would you be interested to talk about us publishing your book for you. And, you know, I literally, Simon was working out of my garden shed. I, I redecorated and I got a wireless card um, from uh, Vodafone and stuck it into a Huawei router. And I had one of those little aerials on the top that you put on boats and caravans because when the wind blew, I lost the signal. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't done under auspicious circumstances, but, you know, the content of the unnoticed entrepreneur is, entrepreneurs sharing what they do to get noticed, overcome the hurdles for free. And that's a really rich source of material. And I've done PR for 30 years, but there are people making business, making playing cards. There are people who have, you know, delivered parts of mannequins. There are people who have um, helped the schools. You know, there are all sorts of people doing interesting things. And I'm just hoping that I can give people at least one or two ideas that prompt them, nudge them to help them move their business forward. So that's really the game plan for the project. And then if I can finish that, um, now I'm partnering with a group um, in Germany, which is called Startup Radio, actually startuprad.io. Like Jörg Menninger has got a, 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 a station there. So, so now my shows are going on to his radio station. And then I've just partnered with a group called Scale Fest, which is an event April 27th, which is happening Singapore, Sydney, London, New York. And I'll be the official podcast partner. And then I'm also um, going to be working with Action Coach, providing them with, if you like, a summary of what unnoticed entrepreneurs have shared with me so that entrepreneurs in his community of 1,100 coaches around the world can learn how to share this. So when sort of moving after a year and a half to two years, into if you like the next phase, which is sort of amplification and engagement, Simon. So that's kind of fun to build another business, um, but this time in the UK.
um, so my sort of third continent. There's no stopping you, Jim. You're like a dynamo. Um, the, uh, the, the it is it is nice to hear, and it's nice and refreshing to hear that. You know, well, look, it wasn't auspicious circumstances. I just decided this was a good thing to do. And I think, you know, getting notice, getting that recognition. I know one of the things that you state quite publicly around the book and around uh, what you're doing is that, you know, the stat that you throw out is 82% of investors say that name recognition is an important investment decision. Yes. And that speaks very much to not only, you know, I speak to a lot of guys in the startup mode or raising cash and talking to VCs or high net worths, et cetera. And being noticed or at least being name checked and getting your becoming discoverable, I think, is part of that getting noticed. Now, whether that's to sell a company or to get investment into a company or to help you scale, it's that discoverability, isn't it? It's that brand story that I suppose harking back to your, your PR days. Uh, that's so important, you know, and sometimes maybe you get people get so busy doing the things they're doing, they don't really consider those things. And then they look back and go, I'm really struggling with this. How do I get noticed? How do I get this a bit more on the map? How do I get more people to take notice? And you're sort of putting this wonderful compendium together of people saying, look, this is how I did it. This is how I did it. So it's no wonder that Wiley get in touch you I mean Wiley are a, a globally well-respected publishing house you know for them to reach out and say hey we'd love to publish that I mean that's that's fantastic isn't it well thank you Sam well they also do um like computer for dummies so I think they just saw me as one of the dummies out <laughs> one of the dummies out there you know so you know and I think it's uh you know thank you for you know for calling that out yeah it is a compendium of ideas and really the you know the goal is to also inspire people that it doesn't have to all be glossy it doesn't have to be in the newspaper you know that actually we all have as entrepreneurs an authentic story and it all starts with that authentic story and no one can take that away from you right and it doesn't have to be packaged and it doesn't have to be glamorous it doesn't have to be spell checked right the, the it's the authenticity that attracts the customer as you know assuming that of course you can solve their problem and another big message to take away from the book, Simon, which I'm really passionate about, is that technology really is the enabler for the entrepreneur, right? So I draw the analogy with the Battle of Agincourt, where the French and the British were fighting. I'm not sure we're allowed to do this, I guess, post-Brexit. But, you know, the moral of the story, notwithstanding, you know, uh, the battle morals, is that the British or the English beat the French just because the crossbows could fire more arrows more quickly than the longbows. Right. And and the field of conflict was only about 50 yards. I've been to Agincourt and actually they were, could see each other and they were shooting. And the reason that the, the English troops won was because they could fire five to six arrows a minute more than the French. It was simply a game of attrition. So, you know, that's one lesson in the same way that David and Goliath with the, with the slingshot is that technology, especially AI and SaaS, products and i know you've had the you know one of the people from um you know gary turner from zero on the show technology enables for entrepreneurs to compete with big companies and if there's anything to take away from hearing me today it's that you know technology is what enables people like you and i to build businesses at scale without huge amounts of personal leverage without debt so you know when i was in china i started the the car business by using my phone and, and, and taking pictures of the car. And I set up two accounts 
on what's called Weibo. So I had one for East West and one for Morgan. And what I do is I post something on East West and I have Morgan like it and reshare it, and then I have East West re-like it. And then I have Morgan, right? So you can amplify your message really easily using technology. And in the book, I interview a number of entrepreneurs who create AI tools and content creation, content formatting, content amplification, content distribution, content measurement. So technology now is so available, so easy to use, and so cheap that one of the messages I hope that I can share through the book is that the tools are there for us now, you know, in the same way that you and I can do Zoom. So it's an essentially positive message that there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur because technology enables us to compete while the big companies are trying to figure it out and sign off purchase orders and agree on who's going to do the job. As entrepreneurs, we can embrace those opportunities and move in to those niches as as fast as a flash. So it's really a very, very exciting time. Yeah, I, 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 I 100% agree with that, Jim. And one last thing I want to ask on this, because I do want to change gear in a minute yes. and ask you a few questions about yourself as well as the, the business sort of side of things. But one, one final thing just on what we're talking about now is, as well as the technology and the entrepreneurial thinking and the getting noticed and the PR how important is networks to you? And I, I ask you that question because throughout your journey, you've also got very involved with organizations, government bodies, bringing people together, networking. That must be a key component. And even now with the sort of, you know, the German radio station or the, you know, um, the, the various people that you sort of partner with now, that seems to be very much part of the way you go about things from a networking and a building trust and relationships. It, Am I right in observing that, Jim? Simon, you know, very observant. You know, people haven't really called that out uh, in that way, but but you're absolutely right. And I think that uh, I'm sure, you know, you're the same with, look at your amazing network that, you know, on the old sort of, is it Milton, no man is an island, right? And um, that at a, at a human level, we need we need people, you know, because as we need the stimulation, we need the connectivity, we need the emotional response that that gets from a people to people perspective um but also it's impossible to create anything of value alone you know uh, the greatest things are created by collective minds and uh and collective effort and so you know whether it was in singapore when i was in the chamber of commerce and we started the international association of facilitators for example you know or with the chamber of commerce in china or with eo i'm a big believer that you know if if, if i can be part of a community or a network or a mastermind, you know, uh, a mastermind alliance, then I hope that I can serve those other people and they will share what they know, you know, and, and the collective wisdom and the collective energy will be much, much more powerful than, than my own alone. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Jim. Um, so look, let's change gear a little bit. Let me ask you a couple of quick questions if I can. It's not quite a, a quick fire round, but I want to get a, a few questions in. Good, yeah, uh, I promise about... to answer quickly. Sorry, Simon, I've been... No, 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 not at all. It's a, it's a fascinating discussion. I'm really enjoying our time together today. Thank you. Let's talk course. a little bit about your own learning style. I like to ask my guests on the show how they like to learn. So are you, I know you're an author, but are you, are you reading books? Are you an audio book person? Do you listen to podcasts? Are you on YouTube? Are you scouring the internet for the wires? Or do you prefer just meeting people in real life and having conversations? How does your own onboarding of information work and what kind of books or, or, or media type 
uh, types do you do you consume? I think I think Simon, the answer is all of the above because they all trigger slightly different parts of the mind and different responses. You know, I think that one of the things I've been working on lately is having different modalities. So what I what I now do is I have one set of time where I'm looking for answers to specific questions. Right. So I'm I'm now looking, for example, at the um, it's called um, right to market, you know, where you write a book when you know what the performance of other bo books are in that category. Right. So you don't just author a book in general, you write to market. So you you feel like you pretest the product. So one one sort of spend of time for me now is I've got this question, how would I do that? And I go in pursuit of those answers. and then. I have another time which I set aside for, if you like, blue sky, which is just I'm listening to some podcasts about science, right? It's not it's it's actually not what I do, but it takes my mind to different places. Not just about global warming, but about biology or about nuclear physics. So because that's parts of my mind that that I'm not using and that I'm not going to use in my day-to-day -day work necessarily, but I'd like to explore. So I have some time now where I do sort of some exploration. And then there's the third part, which is where I've got things that I'm moving towards. For example, I'm doing a lot of what I'm now calling sort of podcast to publish. So I'm, I've taken my podcast and made it into books, articles to books. So I'm, I'm spending time now learning about how AI does ASR, you know, automatic speech recognition and the other way around, right? So now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm going to YouTube um, and to Wikipedia and to Quora and so on to see what other people are talking about in that space so that I can kind of get a guide. So I think the answer is that it's a little, I, I decided that it's not just one pursuit of research and it's not just all airy-fairy listening and it's not just what's relevant for my business. But what I have started to do is create some time, you know, half an hour for one, an hour for another and an hour for another. So that every day I'm consuming it. And that's a combination of books on Kindle, you know, Audible, hard copy because mixing the mode of or mixing the medium is quite refreshing if you're always watching youtube or always reading kindle actually that part of your body gets tired so in the same way that if you do sport if you always do the same kind of exercise that muscle group gets well trained but gets a little bit bored and other I, I quite like this idea of taking a an approach where you're you're trying out, you know, some of its audio, some of its video, some of its uh, pictures, some of its text. Um, gosh, that's a long-winded answer. Sorry, Simon. So the answer is, I'm I'm trying to learn in a, in some slightly different ways, but slightly structured. Um, crikey, yeah, I should have said yeah, a book, shouldn't I? I? Should have just said a book. But I, no, would have been, I, I love been the easier because I, you know, I was talking to somebody recently. I, I I think it was on one of these episodes where. We were talking about when you went to college years ago, if you wanted to research something, you had to go to the library. Yes. Because you didn't actually own the book, or if you were lucky, you might have owned a few books. Yeah, you that's had to right. go to the library and look up this stuff, you know? And you couldn't take a picture of what you like. You had to furiously, or take it and get some photocopies exactly. from the John Hopkins Library in Manchester, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And I, I don't want to give away too much in terms of age, but, you know, the little bit of blue paper that you put between pages to make a copy. <laughs> of Let's not get into it. <laughs> The lack of technology back then. Yeah. Um, somehow we got it done and passed, but I mean, who knows how that worked? But I, I like the fact that, you know, that sort of mixed multi learning style that's available to us now. But I also really like the fact that you are 
sort of almost compartmentalizing your time into different areas of and different ways of study. And I think on one hand, you've got a mix of tools available to learn from, whether it's a physical book or whether it's YouTube or whatever. But on the other hand, I'm a big fan and I really like something that you said there of maybe learning something that's a little bit left field or completely off your day-to-day -day business. Because what if I've learned anything, it's that it's by those are the things that I think help you to think differently, help you think more creatively. And actually, to me, at least, I don't know why it works this way for me, but it makes them when I go back to sort of the day job, it makes me think about those things quite differently and from maybe through a different lens. Does that make sense? Simon, it absolutely doesn't. And if I could just add in there, if one starts with the mindset that everything is connected, you know, that whilst I don't work in science, science will impact my world. So what's happening in science, you know, what you might read in the Lancet, for example, you know, the BMA journal, what they're doing in terms of like cell discoveries, for example, that will in time have an impact on my world, either in the kind of companies that are built in the kind of conversations around um, longevity, right? So it, whether it's in logistics, all these different industries at some stage will impact my world. So I kind of see it as a way to engage. Do you, do you know Daniel Burris? He's a future viewer. You know, yeah, futurist he, uh, kind of. Uh, thing. Yeah, and he yeah. talks about hard trends and soft trends. And I heard him in Singapore many, many years ago, and, and he's one of those people that I, you listen to, and you go, "Oh my God, that guy's smart." You know, you go, "You know, I'm not worthy." But I was lucky enough to be in the room. But it, but he talked about hard trends, and he talked. This is now 25 years ago. We talked about you know wireless and you know and broadband and portability and you know and he said and so those would be hard trends you know um uh, longevity you know reducing fertility and then there were soft trends things that are going to happen that peter out you know like fashion so if one looks at other industries that will dictate your world you get a much better view of what might be hard trends because you're not just looking in your own industry in your own world and those might be soft trends that lead you somewhere that might be a dead end when actually the hard trend is quite different yeah very insightful thanks for sharing that jim uh, another Thank thing you. i want to ask you is about uh, obviously throughout your career there's obviously been people that have inspired you motivated you maybe people that give you a helping hand along the way or people you've looked up to and if you if not somebody in particular springs to mind maybe it's a particular type of character trait or personality that you sort of resonate with what springs to mind when i ask you that question well, I think, you know, like you, Simon, there are just so many people who along the way have given me guidance and, and support. In, in terms of advice that I was given by a guy, uh, my accountant at the time, a very wise Chinese man called Casey Lau uh, in Singapore, I was starting an internet business and I had a my PR business and I was raising money and and I felt like I was top of the world, right, in 1998, 99. And he said to me, you know, well, Jim, you know, that it's well known that to run one company well is better than to run two companies badly. And I was like, yeah, Casey, you know, that just doesn't apply to me. You know, I mean, the hubris now when I think about it, it's just, you know, and he's a lovely guy. He still he bought lunch and, we, you know, he looked after my accounts for 20 years. And I, you know, that piece of advice about doing one thing well at a time rather than doing many things poorly. I haven't always adhered to that, but when I've made mistakes, his voice and that lunch in Singapore has come back to me. So, so that'd be the one thing that 
after all this time, this idea that do one thing and do it well, which is why when I got the PR business to a place, I decided to sell that so I could focus on, on the podcast rather than do both in a mediocre way. And in terms of people that inspire you, I'm going to, I'm going to go a little left field if I can. Uh, and I'm going to say my grandfather, because, you know, on my mother's side, he was a man who um, went to war, came back from war. He was a, a, a brilliant man in many, many ways, but very understated, you know, and we knew him as grandfather but actually when he died we found medals in the drawer you know he'd been awarded battle honors that he never mentioned right um he'd worked in a bank and done other things even though it wasn't really what he wanted to do but he did it because it would create security for the family you know he would mow the lawn in the village because no one else would do it but it should be done you know he felt that was what the village needed and so he served in that way and when he passed away I lived in Staplefield in West Sussex. The church was just full, you know, and people wrote from all over the world, Simon, talking about how um, he had impacted their lives. No one ever, you know, he didn't ever claim anything for himself. But I think if there's someone in my life, I think, you know, he would be the role model because other people are famous for launching a company or for maybe setting up a church. But as a well-rounded man who took care of other people, uh, who served his country and his family and his community. Um, you know, Bill Hemmings, God, God bless him, was, I think, you know, a man that I would love to emulate because, um, you know, we all need somebody in our lives. But I think that um, often we, we take for granted those people that are closest to us who very quietly, very patiently, very, in a very humble way, went around doing good work. So, so Simon, I th I'd have to choose, you know, Bill Hemmings. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that, Jim, because quite often when it, it's people like that who, you know, maybe maybe they're humble, maybe they're just quiet. I know my own grandfather, very, very similar situation. He just wouldn't talk about that stuff. He would never come up. And it's only, uh, unfortunately, in their, in their passing where you kind of go, the, the stuff that that yes. gentleman went through is incredible. And yet he still served his family, served his community, but did it with a, a sort of elegance, a sort of, you know, a respectful sort of quietness. And it, sometimes they're the unsung heroes, aren't they? They're the ones that you don't see on the front page of the New York Times, but they are, they're incredible people uh, in their own right. Yeah, I really like what you've said there. Some great well, well, thank you. Yeah, I think, Simon, as you say, that in it, to some degree, bring it all the way back to the unnoticed entrepreneur, you know, this idea that there are so many people doing good work and living good lives. And it, if you look at social media and, and the nonsense that goes on, we amplify because it serves commercially those papers. And we amplify the people doing things that we're shocked by. And, and then we have, we overlook the people that are making a real contribution. And, and you know, that's part of why the Unnoticed Entrepreneur is, is what I'm working on now, because I, there, I'd love to be able to showcase, not because they're looking for the fame, but because they're showing examples of how life can be led that's fulfilling and honest and making a contribution and that is sustainable and a good role model for others. So important. Yeah. Thank you. Um, look, as we come to the end of our time, I want to squeeze in another quick, quick couple of quick questions if I can, Jim. And the obvious one for somebody like you has to be, as you look forward over the next six, nine, 12 months, or maybe even a little bit longer, what are you hoping to achieve? What's on the roadmap? What are you thinking about? 
what does it look like for you when it comes to that planning process and when you think about the year ahead? Do you do you work like that? How does that work for you? Yes, I think that, well, thank you. I mean, I think that um, one is really making sure that the, that the children are well and happy. And I know this is a business show, but, you know, you're a father of four, I have two daughters. And, you know, I think that everything I do now is through the lens of whether or not it's going to be, you know, making them feel more or less secure. So um, that's kind of a caveat for me because, you know, my childhood was not great. uh, And I think that sets people back so far that they don't start where they should have done. So, so a big part of what I do is to try and make sure that my, my bookends of my day and my week are around being, being the father that I want to be. So then for me, then professionally, what I've been working to do is to create a business that enables me to add value to the broader community. So I've um, reached out to a radio station here in Bath, and um, I'm hoping that they will work with me and let me, you know, be a host on the radio station for the Southwest of England with the Unnoticed Entrepreneur uh, show. So we can help share the message um, for entrepreneurs that there are other entrepreneurs out there getting noticed and here's how you can do it. Going forward, um, Wiley have um, got the second book coming out because we've got a three book deal. So uh, we need to get the preparation going for the, for the next book. And, um, and then I'm going to go to Singapore in, um, you know, in the middle of the year to help the team down there to do more sort of transitions and help them with what they need on the strategy. So keeping the unnoticed entrepreneur growing really and hoping to build you know a, a bigger community that that can get access to this essentially positive message that now's a great time to be an entrepreneur other people are doing it and here's how you can do it using tech love that jim and i suppose the other thing i wanted to squeeze in is is there any any other area or anything we haven't touched on today that you'd like to share with our worldwide audience and also and importantly if people want to reach out and find out more about the books or the podcast or all the great work that you're doing, where is the best place to send people to? Great. Well, I think in terms of um, anything else, I think you've kindly given me much more airtime than, than my little story deserves, to be honest, Simon. So I, I wouldn't want to take up any more of your listeners' time on that. But um, in terms of finding me, I've, I've now got my own website, jimajames.com, and that's a great place to start. And um, so yeah, jimajames.com. If you'd like to look for the book, which I can obviously show you here, um, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, 50 entrepreneurs sharing how to get noticed. So that is available now. And in fact, volume two then will be coming out in the next six months. So you can find me at my website or on the bookstores. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, no, that's wonderful. And I, I look forward to uh, the next, uh, the second one. And of course, there'll be a third, uh, given the given the book deal with Wiley. So that's great. Thank you. Uh, and it sounds like you've got a wonderful year ahead anyway, Jim. I'm sure there's lots of things uh, coming your way and lots of uh, things for people to stay tuned to. So that brings me nicely to the end of our discussion today, Jim. Uh, thanks very much indeed to Jim James for being here on this episode of the global discussion thank you to all of our audience around the world whether you've been watching or listening today 
uh, I would ask you to to like, follow, subscribe, and do everything that I need you to do to help support this podcast. And I hope that you'll meet me back here for some more discussions with creatives, leaders, and thinkers. But thank you, Jim. It's been a wonderful discussion today. Thanks so much for spending time with me. Simon, thank you so much. And uh, to anyone listening, yeah, thank you for supporting Simon's show. He's doing a fabulous job and really encourage you to support him in doing this. Thank you, Jim. 